welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello and welcome to DevCast, Devil Smith's audio series which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with people who impact professionals across the property industry. I'm Ryan Doyle, Principal Recruitment Consultant at Devil Smith, and for this episode I am super thrilled to be joined by Rhonda D'Ambrosio, a well-being expert, founder of Mental Health in Recruitment, UK Director of the Kite Programme, and just an all-round absolute guru in mindset and quality of thinking. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Rhonda, welcome to DevCast. How are you? Um, hi, Ryan. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. I really tried on that intro, by the way. <laughs> really, really. Um, look, we've obviously uh, been doing a bit bits and pieces together uh, within Devil Smith and uh, through sort of mental health and recruitment, which we'll get into. But uh, there's so much to talk about. I kind of first come up with this in 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 light of thinking well how can we come away from recruitment and just deal with mental health in sales but I'm, I'm just interested in having a chat with you and picking your brains on a number of things but um first things first I mean let's get into yourself and I'm interested in because obviously you had a background in recruitment but how have you got to where you are now what 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 kind of triggered you to get involved and set up mental health and recruitment and and this whole sort of complex world of well-being what made you get involved do you know what it's um it's 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 been a bit of a journey and not one that I could say I'd mapped out I hadn't made this conscious decision to move from running my own recruitment company into what I do today but I guess the short version Ryan I'll try and keep it short is um, back in 2013 when I was running my own recruitment company my mum got a diagnosis of motor neurons disease and for anybody that is familiar with it it was absolutely brutal Um, my mum got the diagnosis in March April she was terminal by the June and we sadly lost her in the August. And the, the one of the really big things that, you know, stands out to me and stood out to me from that time was how despite my mum, I guess, you know, I, I, she was strong in lots of ways as a woman throughout her life, but she had struggled with depression and anxiety. And so mentally, I, I guess I, I'd always thought maybe she was a bit fragile, but when she was told that she was going to lose her life, I saw this just remarkable mental strength um, that dominated what we as a family were trying to deal with. You know, my my mum knew that the illness was terminal. She knew that she um, it was very aggressive. She had what's called bulbar palsy, and it was just very as you know very very aggressive, as as you can guess from the time frame that I mentioned. But this mental strength, which was I guess her saving grace and this refusal to, you know, allow the disease to diminish her any more than it physically could was 
you know, I've said it a few times on various podcasts, one of the most inspirational moments of my life. And that piqued my interest in mindset and quality of thinking. You know, I'd always really been interested in psychology and behavior and, you know, why we were motivated to do the things that that we are as human beings. But, you know, looking at that period of time when survival was very much in the, in the fray and, and thinking, wow, if we as individuals could leverage our quality of thinking and, you know, really rely on perspective when, when terrible things are happening to us, how powerful could that be when it comes to supporting mental health? And, you know, at the time, the industry that I knew best from being in it since 1997 was recruitment. And I sort of said to my then business partner, you know, I, I, with everything that was going on with mum, I needed to take a step back from our business. And she made this decision that, well, if, if it was just the perfect opportunity and moment for her to say, I don't want to carry on with it. So it gave me this sort of period of time where I could look at training up and, and, and looking at something different and um, studying some areas of interest to me. And that's what I did. And, you know, once I'd done that, I took it back into the industry um, because recruitment as like many, many sales industries, there is this underlying kind of unwritten rule that, you know, salespeople are very, very tenacious and they're very, very resilient. You know, they can deal with knockbacks. And, you know, what I'd seen over the years was that wasn't strictly the case. And even the most high performing salespeople um, had to deal with stuff in their personal lives. So that kind of set me on a bit of a pathway. And that kind of then combined with somebody I'd worked with many, many years before talking to me about what he was doing. He was setting up a um, virtual recruitment company. Um, you know, we're talking seven, seven years ago. So this was quite a big thing pre-lockdown and COVID. And he was doing that in part to support people's sort of, you know, flexibility in the workplace, but also their mental health. And, you know, I said to him, well, as much as it is beneficial, um, you know, that being able to work from home, showing yourself in the study, um, it, it also can be quite debilitating and quite isolating when it comes to mental health. And so we we kind of worked together. I used his business as a bit of a, a stomping ground with the frameworks that I was creating after changing up what I was doing. Um, and I guess bringing it back to why mental health and recruitment exists what happened was, you know, despite being a massive champion for what I was trying to achieve and on the surface and the face of it being one of the most robust, engaging, um, empathetic and just brilliant individuals to be around, he tragically took his own life. And, you know, that for me was this big, big mark in the sand of, you know what, we just don't know what people are going through, even when we think they're really successful, even when they seemingly have everything on the surface, more needs to be done. So I guess I, I ended up combining what was happening um, in my business because of the, the switch up because of mum and then um, focusing it more, I guess, with a bit more of a pinpoint accuracy on mental health in the recruitment industry. And that's how mental health was mental health and recruitment was born you know simply a not-for-profit aimed at driving change to the understanding of mental health uh, in recruitment isn't it um because that's what's baffled me about all of this in the sense that i'm now very aware that you should train your brain like you train a muscle in the gym um but the people that i've met on my kind of journey in this are have all got into kind of studying mental health understanding well-being because of a tragic incident or something dramatic that's happened in their life. And I'll, I'll hold my hands up. You know what happened 
uh, well, maybe you remember what happened to me uh, and why I took uh, an interest in it. But for me, the stuff that we're doing with, with you guys at Deverell Smith, and we'll come on to that, but I'd, I'd love it to be like the norm, as, as normal as people paying for a gym membership and going to the gym however many times a month, you know. And, um, you know, what, what you've sort of opened up in my, my mind in terms of the, the work that we did so that people won't know, we've obviously, uh, at Devil Smith, you guys in uh, mental health and recruitment, you've worked with us and allowed us to go on this journey of um, trying to improve the mental health and well-being for the staff here. And we've got now, I think, four people trained as mental health first aiders within the business. Um, we've implemented loads of things already, Rhonda. So, you know, just to list a few, we've got uh, a fruit bowls delivered every Monday, a book corner. We've got bar stools talking about, you know, mental health once a month. We're bringing people into sort of the, uh, the fitness world by offering different discounts through class pass and, and, and other things. But the amount of messages that I've had from staff confidentially saying, look, this is, you know, that podcast you sent me or this, that conversation we had, that bar store or whatever, it's, it's changed their lives dramatically. And I think it's so important, you know, this, this discussion piece. Yeah, it's so, um, you know, what you guys are doing, the commitment that you've um, applied since we've started the journey, I think is fantastic. I'm with you. I think this needs to be the norm. It was always such a taboo subject. And I think it still is, Ryan, in some, um, you know, environments, some culture, some organisations. It, it still is. But we are quite a way forward than we were 10 years ago and um you know leaps and bounds forward than we were 20 years ago but I I think there's just still if you look at the corporate workplace and you look at you know the sales industries in particular I do think that we're a bit behind the rest of the corporate world who've put some good focus and attention on mental health and well-being in the workplace there's there's still a lot to do and I get it it's because as again we seem to be very very resilient um I'm just coming back to what you said there as well about people that have suffered their own, um, you know, tragedies or traumas that that kind of get it. Absolutely. And, and what I've found in the last two years since, you know, the journey we've been on with COVID is that more and more business owners and leaders um, get it. Individuals that maybe hadn't had stress and anxiety on their radar after having to sort of lock down and come completely out of their comfort zone. Um, I think they, they understand now, they understand more. And that's definitely helped to open up conversations. I think, I think what it is and, you know, I, what I enjoy doing, and I think I'm your typical salesperson, right? So I like to keep it simple. Give me a fact and I'll be wowed by it, right? That's about as basic as I am. But some of the facts that I've picked up do make me go wow I didn't realize that you know and I think the more that for the people that haven't gone through that tr tragic period in their lives the more that people can hear those little facts put out there the better I mean you know we'll come on to a few but there was um there was a podcast I was listening to by Pippa Grange and this lady was actually working with the England football team uh way back when but she said if you're if you're not being yourself you're actually just performing in life like, and how powerful is that message? Yeah. Like, are you performing or are you being yourself? You know, because, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just such an intriguing, uh, complex discussion piece. Uh, why do you think it's so important that companies, especially in the sales industry, jump on this? And what do you think that they should be implementing within their staff? 
you know, there's two sides to that coin. And I'm, I'm going to appeal, first of all, to, you know, the commercial side um, as to why I think it's important. It's better for business. If you improve people's lives, you improve your own business because we lose billions as an economy on lost discretionary effort. And for anybody that's not sure what that means, that's basically going the extra mile, working a bit harder, doing a little bit more because you love what you do and you love the people you work for. Um, you know, if we're not treated well, if we're not understood, then as soon as it, you know, the, the clock rolls round and we can we can stop doing, we can leave the office, we will. So, you know, if you're tapping into the happiness of your workforce, then long term, it's going to improve your bottom line. There's some amazing studies out there and the, the work that the government did around, I don't know if you've, you've looked at the Thriving at Work report and the analysis by Deloitte, but it talks about that. You know, discretionary effort absolutely impacts things like absenteeism, presenteeism and, and staff turnover. So the business case is, is very much there. And as you know, we did the we did our own survey in the in, in the recruitment industry. And that gave us an insight on, you know, how people could improve, um, you know, the workforce morale, the happiness in the workplace, all the things that you were just talking about, um, <clears throat> just having certain processes and good policies in place to improve um, leadership, improve engagement, improve education, you know, giving people a psychologically safe environment is it, it creates um, a nice place to work, right? So, you know, you're, you're not going to lose staff. The other side of that coin, this is just simply the right thing to do is to treat people like human beings. And, you know, we are so wrapped up and we have been so wrapped up over the decades of keeping those two areas completely separate. You know, the whole don't bring your emotions to work just come in just do the job that's really hard if you're in the sales industries and if you're in the people industries because that's your product you know you can't just leave emotions at the door and it just really isn't the the human thing to do we are no longer in these burn and churn environments when it comes to sales you know what we want is sustainability we want consistency in performance if we want to make sure that our our revenues are going to be solid and they're going to be consistent then you know focus on your assets which are your people look after them yeah sure and, and, and that has a value on it doesn't it you know if, if someone's working at you know at 30 percent of what they're capable of because they're in a in, in a in a depressant mood um that's going to affect your bottom line so no, definitely. Um, do you think that COVID and the pandemic has accelerated mental health as a discussion piece? Because we have seen a real sort of, you know, acceleration of people talking about it, social media, even some male football friends are, are, are getting involved for, for no apparent reason other than, in my opinion, the pandemic accelerating it. Do you, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. I do agree with that. Um it's, it's, it's difficult you know I it's another one of those double-edged swords for me because I feel like I've been banging this drum for nearly 10 years trying to get people to set up and listen in our industry and then overnight it was almost like mental health was fashionable and you know we've had so many um, people pop up and talk about this businesses start um there's been conversations about oh are people just climbing on the bandwagon and my view is that look the more we're talking about it, the more awareness we're creating. And that's absolutely brilliant. The big, the big piece for me is turning that awareness into action. So it is, it is brilliant that we are doing more, that COVID has accelerated the conversation. And as I mentioned, I think people get it a bit more because 
individuals that weren't normally impacted by mental health did have that affected in in lockdown um, but the, the subsequent piece and what we choose to do now that we have that awareness is what's absolutely vital to kind of impact in our workplaces and impacting the people around us yeah yeah and, 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 and I think within the workplace you mentioned previously just then tap into the happiness of your staff I think that is you first of all got to understand what makes your staff happy right um luckily being you know a salesperson myself full of a, a floor of salespeople, i can kind of hopefully understand their mindsets naturally i think i think diet is a huge thing and that's one of the reasons why we brought the the, the, the fruit mondays you know we get a, a box of fruit for the week delivered and stuff but i think you know i didn't realize how connected the gut and the brain are well it which sounds stupid because obviously when your brain tells you you're hungry right you're hungry but um going into the to, to the microscopic detail uh without boring anyone when you're in the embryo the two organs the gut and the brain are, are, are side by side and as your body grows they they separate and basically they're still connected by some sort some sort of chemical messaging and obviously mm. the good and bad bacteria within your stomach whatever whichever you're eating say you're on fast foods all the time you're just feeding those bad bacteria within your gut and that's that's forming a sort of a, a chemical message into the brain to put you in this depressant mood and it has the reverse effect if you're feeding the good bacteria yeah. um but there's yeah, a science behind it you know it's, it's mad isn't it it's absolutely mad and uh, i mean i'm not a gut health expert but you're absolutely right you know there is there's so much research out there and there's this brilliant um article on harvard actually um that talks about the whole gut health and anxiety um kind of relationship and the fact that the brain has a direct effect on the stomach and the intestines and the amount of neurotransmitters that we have um you know in our stomach and the fact that you know our gastrointestinal tract is sensitive to emotion and it, you don't think of it but it's um i think the example they wrote in the article was something along the lines of if you the very thought of eating can um, release stomach juices before food gets there you know when we think about how hungry we are and you get that gurgle in your stomach and they say the connection goes both ways so a troubled intestine can send signals to the brain and that is absolutely going to impact your mood it's going to absolutely impact your mental health and you know it's actually um interestingly i i don't think you and i've talked about this but i decided in the second lockdown that i was going to go vegan um, I hadn't eaten pork, beef or lamb for the previous three, four years. And I'd always thought, because I love animals, you know, I wouldn't eat my dogs. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I am vegan for the animals. But I, um, the reason I kind of made that, I guess, that switch is because we were in lockdown. There was no joy in life. Uh, well, you know, there was, but you, you hear what I'm saying. Um, I didn't want to stop drinking my gin and tonics because the weather was amazing. So I sat in the garden drinking gins and food was kind of this only joy that we had in life because we couldn't go anywhere or do anything but I was very very mindful that I my mood and my mental health wasn't where I wanted it to be mm. and um, uh, quality of thinking and all the mental stuff I'm really good at you know that the physical side and like like what you were saying that the food and the diet I'm, I'm not as great at I'm not one that goes to the gym four or five times a week so it amazingly the the mental discipline and I suppose the type and quality of food that I was putting into my system definitely made a positive difference without a shadow of a doubt you know and I don't evangelize plant-based diets I'm very much each to their own you do you I'll do me but 
I felt so much better. But no one's asking anyone to be like this boring evangelist, like you said. It's it's more around just saying, I'm going to do a lot of what I enjoy, which is what I do on a normal basis, but just try and add you know, a, a green, healthy plant-based salad once a day or going for a walk. But you can only do those things because people in the office have been saying to me, Ryan, what, what can I do to, because obviously they know I'm into this now, right? Um, and I'm just saying, you first need to work out what makes you happy. And then every time you do something that makes you happy, just write it down. Like I, I at the end of every shower, I turn, the, I turn the cold water on for 30 seconds before I get out because it puts me in a better mood for some mm. strange reason, right? But that's not going to work for everybody. So... Yeah, I think tap into the happiness of your staff is a huge is a huge piece. Can you open up and talk to us a little bit more about because obviously you're a UK director of the Kite program, and I know that this could be quite handy for some of the listeners out there. Yeah, so um, the Kite program is wellbeing technology, and um, it was created by absolutely fantastic friend colleague of mine called Hannah Hardy Jones. And Hannah's story is very, very interesting. Um, when she had her first child, her daughter Alice, um, out of the blue, Ryan, she got a diagnosis for bipolar disease. Um, and she basically, it was it was one of those situations where um, she was having episodes, she didn't know what they were, she'd always had good mental health. And when she got her bipolar diagnosis, it completely threw her. She was very, very overwhelmed. There was a lot of information out there. And, you know, being a new mum as well, every day was a bit of a struggle. And she remembered thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a resource out there that could just help me, that could give me little pieces of information to promote, you know, better well-being and to give me, um, you know, some knowledge to be able to help myself whilst I'm trying to be a new mum, try to cope with, um, you know, my diagnosis. And um, that's how the Kite programme was born. It was originally a, a resource for new mothers. And Hannah's goal was always to try and um, create that and give that away. Um, so, you know, raise funding in order to do that because that's her passion. And that's why she entered into the corporate space. And I met Hannah through um, a mutual friend, somebody that used to work um, for me. And she said, look, you guys have got a little a lot of synergy. Everything you're talking about, about how to understand happiness, how to make ourselves happier, how to put ourselves and understand more about our mindset really ties into the premise of you know kite and the fact that it's an app which is a vehicle to really um give individuals this um whether it's i don't want to say unlimited resource or you know um a pathway to resilience but it's almost like can you imagine Imagine that you're kind of dealing with some struggles, you're dealing with, um, you know, whether it's anxiety or stress, or you're just feeling a bit overwhelmed. Mental health is such a personal journey, and it's quite intimate. And, you know, for companies like you that are doing brilliant work, that are encouraging their people to understand more about this topic, to embrace this topic, it's still really, really hard for people to speak up. And the idea of um, them having the app and having access to the app is that it's in their pocket. And if they don't want to talk about it, and if they can't talk about it, they can still access these resources and it can still be done confidentially. And also it ties into the fact that as much as other people can help us and can suggest all these wonderful things, you think of everything you're doing for the business, we are still responsible for our own happiness and our own mental health. 
So the idea that um, organizations can utilize the wellbeing tech is that they can help drive accountability for their workforce. And um, they don't necessarily, there's no personal information that can be tracked, but they can see that people are looking at different modules and different programs, whether it's, you know, better sleep, whether it's breathing techniques, whether it's understanding your values and drivers and what makes you happy. Um, the programs and the companies that we work with are put in place to really educate people, but also give them these resources to work through under their own steam. So it's really exciting for me because it, it ties to the technology piece, which I absolutely love. And the fact that, um, you know, I think phones can be really damaging. I've got teenage daughters and they're always plugged into social media um, and the way in which the kite program has been created is that it's very very it's a gentle resource that gives people access to mental health awareness resilience as I said um, just lots and lots of different topics that people can just spend five minutes a day on do a little exercise and activity and then carry on with their day so Great, great. No, um, I, I urge people to drop you a line on that to find out a little bit more about it. Um, let's talk about Blue Monday, all right, because, and I'll let listeners into a little secret here. I'm not recording this live on uh, January the 17th, but I am looking to release this podcast on Blue Monday. And I want to get your thoughts around, you know, Blue Monday as a concept and as a day, whether you're behind it or not. Um, but obviously at times, and you and I have discussed about, you know, the pressure that people put on themselves with new year, new me goals and, 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 and targets and stuff, um, especially with what we've just gone through. How, how does that impact mental health and, you know, given it's so saturated now on social media? Um, well, I, I actually did a, a post about this um, a couple of weeks ago um, around the fact that there is so much pressure, isn't there? Maybe we don't realise it's pressure, but when you come back into the office after Christmas, after the break, you just see it everywhere. It's just saturated. Yeah, new me, new, you know, new year. You know, I'm going to do this. These are the goals. This is what everyone should do. And I think if you are struggling or if you suffer with your mental health, that can in itself create more anxiety. And um, the whole Blue Monday concept, it's, it's so interesting because the the calculation behind it and and this is what's interesting Ryan right it's scientifically it's not actually proven to be a thing but practically when you look at the calculations that they've come up with that give us this whatever it is this equation that is the, the saddest most you know worst worst day of the year it it's said to consider things like and the amount of money that we've spent for Christmas and the fact that usually there's a we, our, our paydays we get paid early in December and then it feels like five months until we get our next pay packet and um, it's cold the weather's dreary it's not like Christmas warm where we're all excited that the cold weather and maybe it's going to snow it's it's dreary um our resolutions they say by the is it the third week of January I don't know the actual percentage, but a huge number of individuals would have broken the resolutions that they set for the new year. So I think the whole thing comes together as this perfect storm of like yeah. sadness. So I do think there is something in it. I, absolutely. Um, but it was said to have been created by a travel company that, you know, obviously used it as an amazing marketing um, technique. But there's definitely something in it. Think about, you know, your own journey and what you go on. I I find January really, I don't know, it's just like, oh, there's nothing 
happening is there anything happening in January that I can look forward to you know I have my daughter's birthday but that's that doesn't really push me it's like a, I don't know it's like no man's land it's like dead yes, time this is one <laughs> that makes me laugh Rhonda right because the amount of people over the years that come in and they say oh I'm doing dry January and I'm like okay well done you're picking the one month when there's nothing on but <laughs> good for you <laughs> do you know what I mean um but no I, I think I, I don't think there's any any bad in it necessarily um I I think that people should be setting goals all the time really and 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 when better than than January but yeah I already people in the office have uh, buckled on their new year's resolutions <laughs> <laughs> well let's tie it back to what we were saying about um you know our brain chemicals and being happy and um I think you remember you've been in a session with me where I've talked about um dopamine right the chemical that gets released when you anticipate reward so if we go into January and we set these really really big goals that we just we're not going to be able to you know achieve within those first three or four weeks you know what happens is it's so far out of reach we it, it ends up having like the absolute opposite effect so whenever I'm talking to people about trying to access their own dopamine my advice is always to chunk down it's always to break your goals up into smaller goals um you know and and literally hit these tiny little achievements, um, like a ladder, you know, hit the first one, then hit the next one, then hit the one after that. Um, it will constantly give you that little feeling of achievement and reward. So you get a little bit of a double hit with your dopamine and then your serotonin. If you're kind of setting this big goal that, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to achieve this. And you're thinking in terms of the whole year. Sometimes we do set ourselves up to fail. That's that's kind of what I'm saying. And it would be far better for people's mental health if they set themselves achievable, consistent goals that are easy to reach, that propelled them and motivated them onto the next level. Yeah, definitely. There was another podcast, I can't remember the chap's name now, but he was he kept using the word and the other guy picked up on it in the end. He, he said he kept uh, putting into his sentences, you know, if you aim low enough as, as, a, as a positive. Right. And what he was trying to. Uh, get to is your point exactly you know, don't don't aim too high that it's unrealistic you know aim low enough that you can achieve it yeah um yeah. And it's just a, a different way you read that that context but um look I, I i honestly i could talk to you about this subject for for hours on end but um i'm mindful of how busy you are um i do however want to just end this uh devcast with a couple of quick fire questions as we always do now these are completely random and <laughs> You will. You don't know what I'm about to ask you, right? No, I'm nervous, but in a good way. Yeah. No, there's no need to be. But uh, I'm just going to fire through them, right? So, would you rather climb the highest mountains or swim the deepest seas? Oh, that's hard. Yeah. Because I love the water. I'm a Pisces. I do love the water, but I think I'd want to climb the highest mountain to have that feeling of flying and soaring there's nothing like looking out is there onto an amazing view yeah climb the mountain i think i'm with you on that one Who, who's better adele or whitney oh god ryan <laughs> because i've been having this argument i won't tell you my answer but this is quite a topical one. Oh, i want to say adele but i think that's because you know she's 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 from up the UK she's relatable I don't know how relatable oh but I do love Whitney's voice I grew up with Whitney 
This is quick fire, Rhonda. You know I'm sorry. Oh God, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, Dell. Good. Would you rather never get stuck in traffic again, or never catch a cold again? Never catch a cold again. Would you rather have no phone or no internet? No internet. Fine. And uh, I want to leave everybody with this one. If you could offer one practice for people to undergo, which would help them with their mental health, what would it be? Ah, oh, Ryan. <laughs> be compassionate to themselves. Give themselves a break. That's great. And if you were to ask me, I read a quote from Simon Cowell once. He said that his dad taught him when he was younger. Imagine everyone's got an invisible text on their forehead that says, make me feel important. He said, you'll, be, you'll do all right in life. Oh, that's think, nice. Yeah. 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 I do, I, I'm a massive fan of being kind to people, but I do think sometimes that ki kindness has to start with yourself. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. And that's, that's a whole different podcast, Rhonda. <laughs> Those are hard because I want to give lots of reasons and answers and, ah. Oh. Maybe you can send me an email on it. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us for this episode of DevCast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Rhonda, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on and I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode. join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrelsmith.com and you will receive the latest Devcast episode direct to your inbox.